When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime, from unsolved cold cases to historic kidnapping to gangsters and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Welcome to the True Crime Number Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Larry Lace. Today we're diving into one of the most vicious murders in American history. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Poddex, for sponsoring this episode. If you're looking to grow your engagement and reach a bigger audience, come check out Poddex today at poddex.com and use the promo code Larry21 for 10% off your order. And of course, Audible. If you're looking to get a free audiobook of your choice, no purchase necessary, then visit audibletrial.com slash Larry21. Audible is your home to thousands of great audiobooks from all kinds of genres, from self-help to mystery to adventure. The list goes on. Check it out today at audibletrial.com slash Larry21. And as always, you can be a part of the show. Send us a voicemail at 682-305-0483 and give us your thoughts on the topic we covered. Is there something we missed? Is there something we got wrong? Or you just have a thought you want to share about the topic? Then let us know and you can be featured in the next episode. So today we dive into one of the most vicious crimes in U.S. history. But first, a few thoughts. I've written and talked about on this podcast and on my blog about many horrific crimes. But the Channon Christian Christopher Newsom murders have left a mark on me. Extremely one of the most horrifying tales I've ever read. It took me days to wrap my head around it before I could start talking about it. If you struggle with depression, PTSD, or you're just a soft-hearted person, 
You might want to think twice before listening to this episode. It was January 6, 2007, in Knoxville residence, Shannon Christian, 21, and Chris, Chris Newsom, excuse me, 23, had recently started dating. That evening, the couple chatted, enjoyed dinner at a local restaurant. They planned to go to a friend's apartment to watch a movie later that night. And then they were supposed to go on to attend another friend's birthday party. What they didn't know, what they couldn't have known, was that their paths were about to cross with a handful of angry individuals looking for a way to take their rage out on innocent people. Lamarcus Davidson's life was not going well. He didn't have a dime to his name, and he didn't even have a set of wheels. His main source of income was selling dope on the streets. In the early days of 2006, he was on probation for carjacking and was suspected in a string of robberies. His brother came to Knoxville to celebrate New Year's with him. The two hadn't seen each other in a long time. Due to Davidson's incarceration, traveling, traveling from Kentucky, his brother Latalvis brought with him his girlfriend Vanessa Coleman and his friend George Thomas. All three of them were jobless, carless, and penniless. Cobbins and Thomas were homeless. Coleman could have turned to his salt-of-the-earth family for help, but chose not to. Cobbins soon wore out his welcome, and Davidson grew increasingly angry at what he viewed as his houseguest's free-loading ways. Davidson decided to take out his rage on his girlfriend, Daphne Sutton. He beat the woman, so she left him on January 5th. This only arranged him more. Now he was thirsty for blood, and he was about to enact his revenge in a manner that far eclipsed the abuse that Sutton had endured at his hands. When January 6th rolled around... Davidson had a plan to solve his financial and transportation woes. He didn't care if he had to go back to prison. Been there, done that. A dude's gotta do what a dude's gotta do, he thought. With the help of his brother and his friend, Eric Boyd, he would carjack someone. Channon and Chris left their friend's apartment in North of Knoxville off Washington Pike and got into Christian's Toyota 4Runner to go to their other friend's birthday party. She was sitting in the driver's seat, and Chris was standing in the open door of the vehicle, kissing her, when they suddenly found themselves staring at the barrel of a gun. Boyd and Davidson quickly took control of the forerunner. Cobbins hopped in the driver's seat of Boyd's borrowed car. Boyd and Davidson drove the terrified and confused couple to Davidson's Chipman Street home as Cobbins followed closely behind. When Chris didn't come home that night, his parents, Mary and Hugh Newsom, were concerned. At 23, Chris mostly came and went as he pleased. If he didn't come home, they assumed he spent the night at a friend's house. Shannon, on the other hand, still called home to tell her parents where she was going and when they could expect her to come back. When she didn't do so on the night of January 6th, Gary and Dina Christian knew something wasn't right and began to panic. The Newsoms also started panic when Dina called them to alert them to the fact that their daughter had been neither seen nor heard from since the previous night. Dina told the Newsoms that she was going to file a missing persons report. But unfortunately, it all came crashing down on January 7th. On January 7th, Xavier Jenkins, an employee of Waste Connections, was going about his daily duties when he made a grim discovery. It was the lifeless, charred body of a young man dumped near the railroad tracks between Ninth and Cherry Streets. It was that of Christopher Newsom. 
The news of the discovery sent shockwaves through the community, particularly through the Christian household. Shannon's parents desperately clung to the hope that their little girl was somewhere out there still alive. But they couldn't deny that it was becoming less and less likely that they would get their wish. Then, on January 8th, Shannon's vehicle was located by her family on Glider Avenue. The search of the vehicle resulted in the discovery of fingerprints belonging to Lamarcus, leading investigators to track him to his rental home on Chipman Street. Tragically, Davidson's home was found to be Shannon's final resting place. On January 9th, her battered body was discovered there in a trash can, just two blocks from where her vehicle was found. There is no good way to be murdered, but a quick bullet to the heads of the two would have been most merciful. Both went through hours of horror and agony before they took their final breaths. When Christopher's body was found along the railroad tracks, he had a sock in his mouth. His ankles were bound with his own belt, his hands bound behind his back. A bandana was wrapped around his face, and his head was covered with a sweatshirt tied around his neck with shoestrings. In the final hours of his life, Christopher had been raped with an object and forced to walk barefoot to the railroad tracks. A gunshot to the neck and back left him paralyzed, and, and as he lay on the tracks, he was shot in the head with a twenty-two caliber pistol. Then Christopher's body was wrapped in a comforter, doused with gasoline, and set ablaze. Shannon's ordeal was even more nightmarish. Davidson tied her up inside his Chipman Street home, where she was raped repeatedly in every possible fashion. Her genital region showed severe wounds, suggesting that someone either kicked her or beat her, leaving a massive pool of blood on the floor. Cobbins testified in court that he promised Shannon that he would free her if she gave him oral sex. Forensic evidence showed that Shannon was orally raped with such force that a membrane in her mouth was severed. She suffered two blows to the head and was dragged into the living room where bleach was poured down her throat in an effort to erase DNA evidence. Davidson broke her neck and then, using strips of fabric from a bedding set, Shannon was hogtied, her body was wrapped in black garbage bags, and her head was wrapped in a white plastic grocery bag. Finally, her attacker stuffed her inside a trash can in the kitchen and left her to slowly suffocate to death. Of all the animals on this planet, there seems to be none more cold-blooded and callous as the human species. On January 11th, authorities located and arrested Cobbins, Thomas, and Davidson. The following day, Boyd was served with a federal warrant. Trials for the four defendants began in May 2008. A total of 46 charges were brought against them, including felony murder, first-degree murder, aggravated robbery, kidnapping, aggravated rape, murder, and theft. Eric Boyd was not mentioned in any of the charges. In court documents, Latavis Cobbins and Davidson are both the same person. I'll be referring to him as Cobbins. All federal charges were related to carjackings. Calvins, Davidson, Coleman, and Thomas all faced the death penalty, but Davidson enlisted as the ringleader. Eventually, Boyd was charged, but only with accessory after the fact. He was tried for hiding out and helping Davidson evade arrest. In August 2008, Calvins was convicted of first-degree murder and the death of Janin and facilitation of murder in connection to the death of Christopher. He was sentenced to life in prison. 
on October 28th of that year. Davidson was convicted on, on counts of first-degree murder and first-degree felony murder. Additionally, he was found guilty of facilitation of aggravated rape and was given the death penalty. On December 8th, George Thomas was convicted on all counts, including more than a dozen counts of felony murder and two counts of premeditated murder. He was given life in prison. In May of 2010, Vanessa Coleman was convicted on charges of facilitation of murder, kidnapping, rape, and theft of Shannon. She was found not guilty on charges related to Christopher's death. On July 30th, she was sentenced to 53 years in prison. In January 2011, the Texas Bureau of Investigation announced that it was investigating Knox County Criminal Court Judge Richard Bumgarner who presided over the trials of the Cobbins, Davidson, Coleman, Thomas, and Boyd. It seems that Baumgartner had a bit of a drug problem. He was a well-known and much-respected judge in Tennessee. He pushed to allow cameras in the courtroom for the first time in the state. He also founded a drug court, court program that was so successful it became a model for all of Tennessee. During his time on the bench, he presided over several high-profile cases apart from the Christian Newsom murders. Rumors about some of his lifestyle choices began to emerge in the mid-2000s, but he was so well-liked that those in the legal community originally defended him in spite of the gossip. Knoxville attorney Gregory P. Isaacs said upon the judge's death in 2018 at the age of 70, Judge Bob Gardner was a personable, fair, and firm judge who always tried to do the right thing. He always conducted himself with passion and integrity. Certainly, judges are not immune to personal problems, but his actions brought into question his ability to rule with clarity. He developed an addiction to painkillers while being treated for a broken toe. It's a very common and tragic story. Opiate Opioid addiction is a scourge on American society, and those who wrestle with addiction typically de become dependent on the drug through no fault of their own. Until very recently, doctors commonly prescribed longer-than-necessary courses of painkillers for ailments that could easily be treated with over-the-counter medications like ibuprofen. When opiates were introduced to the market, Big Pharma assured them that they were safe and non-habit-forming. Google the Sackler family and Oxycontin if you want to really understand how the opiate, opioid epidemic swept the country. The problem with these is that the longer you take them and the higher the dose, the less they work. In fact, they cause something called rebound pain. The judge certainly didn't plan on becoming an opioid addict, but unfortunately he did and began buying pain pills from a man named Christopher Lee Gibson, who was on probation in the judge's court. He would meet Gibson in a trailer park to buy 10 to 20 pills as often as three times a week. Other times, the judge purchased pills from Dina Castleman, a participant in the judge's famed drug court program. In 2009, Coleman came to Bumgardner looking for help. Instead, the judge forced her to become his mistress and forced her to supply him with painkillers. The judge also had a drinking problem, and in 2007, 
He was prescribed a drug to control anxiety related to alcohol withdrawal. At one point, he was getting pills from 12 different doctors, including a veterinary. In the course of 28 months, the judge purchased over 2,000 pills. Eventually, it became clear that the rumors were true when he began slurring his speech while overseeing cases. This prompted the TBI to begin looking into the rumors, and in March 2011, he pleaded guilty to related charges and resigned from his post. His guilty plea initially spared him any jail time, but he ended up with a felony conviction and a six-month jail stint for lying to investigators. He died at the age of 70 in January 2018. As you can imagine, the controversy called into question his ability to preside over the Christian Newsom trials. On December 1st, 2011, John, uh, Judge John Kerry Blackwood ordered new trials for Cummins, Davidson, Thomas, and Coleman, citing, quote, structural errors in the original trials. On January 12th, 2012, Judge Blackwood denied the state's appeal to prevent the trials and denied the defense's request for a change of venue, stating that the jurors would not be selected from Knox County. Cobbins' new uh, trial date was set for August 27th, Thomas was set for October 22nd, and Coleman's was set for November 12th. On May 24th, 2012, the Tennessee Supreme Court overturned the judge's decision for new trials for the Davidson, Cobbins, and Thomas. The court said that the defendants had been unaware that Baumgartner's misconduct outside the courtroom affected their trials. The state didn't challenge the retrial for Coleman, conceding that Baumgartner seemed disoriented, speech was very slow, and barely read the verdicts. He was confusing the defendants' names. The following month, the district attorney general's office asked for Blackwood to recuse himself before considering whether Cobbins, Davidson, and Thomas should be retried. Just two days later, Blackwood again ordered new trials for the three. In doing so, the judge cited Rule 25, which was also cited in the Supreme Court decision. The rule allows the successor judge, Blackwood, to be exact, to conclude he or she cannot perform the duties of the original judge because of the failure to preside at the trial or for any other reasons. Blackwood added that he could not serve as the 13th juror in the Christian Newsom case. In mid-June, during a hearing intended to decide whether Blackwood should step down from the case, Blackwood said that he would not recuse himself, stating, I intend to be captain of the ship and to run the ship. Then, on June 21st, Blackwood tossed out his previous order granting new trials to Cobbins and Davidson, stating this time he would give the state a second chance to argue that Blackwood should recuse himself from the case. On August 20th, Blackwood once again said that he would not recuse himself from the case. At that point, the families of Channon and Christopher were getting frustrated with this drama. By this point, the Newsoms had been in courtrooms 283 times. On October 3rd, a state appellate court issued a temporary stay in the retrial of Cobbins, Davidson, and Thomas. The stay, according to WVLT, followed an appeal by the state after Blackwood refused to step away from the case. 
And now let's skip ahead to October 31st. Judge Blackwood was finally replaced by Judge Walter Kurtz. Kurtz was ordered to oversee the cases of Cummins, Davidson, and Thomas. Blackwood was set to still oversee Coleman's trial in November. Only Coleman and Thomas received new trials. On November 20th, a jury convicted Coleman on 13 of 17 counts in the murder of Shannon Christian. She was again found not guilty for crimes connected to Christopher Newsom and was sentenced to 35 years in prison. In May 2013, Thomas was found guilty of all charges in connection to the kidnapping, rape, and murders of Shannon and Christopher. The following month, he was sentenced to two consecutive life terms plus 25. In 2014, Coleman was denied parole and would not be given another opportunity until December 2020. On December 19, 2016, the Tennessee Supreme Court upheld Davidson's two death sentences. In the spring of 2018, Boyd was indicted on first-degree felony murder, first-degree premeditated murder, especially aggravated robbery, especially aggravated kidnapping and aggravated rape charges in connection to the death of Shannon and Christopher. On June 27, 2019, Boyd's attorneys filed a motion to hold the trial in a different venue. The motion was denied. Boyd's trial began with jury selection on August 5th. Among those selected were four white men, one black woman, one black man, one Hispanic woman, five white women, and four alternates, three white men and one white woman. On August 5th, opening statements began in Boyd's trial. A week later, closing statements were made, and on August 13th, Boyd was found guilty on all counts. He was sentenced to two life terms plus 90 years. When he addressed the courtroom, he said, I'm not guilty. Though racism was never mentioned in the trials, it was never considered a motivating factor in the crimes. Much of the coverage of the murders focused on the fact that the perpetrators were black and the victims were white. Considering the current racial and political environment we're living in, I wanted to point out a few things. And these facts come from the Washington Post. According to the Pew Research Center, African Americans are over overwhelmingly more concerned about violence than white people and are the staunchest supporters of stricter gun control laws. 72% of African Americans say that controlling gun ownership is more important than protecting gun rights, compared to just 40% of white Americans. Yes, I'm aware of the arguments in favor of guns, and I understand why so many people own them. I'm not debating the positive and negatives of guns or gun control, so please don't start that argument in the comments. I'm pointing out that the statistics disprove many of the racial stereotypes about African Americans being more violent than white people. The majority of gun deaths in the U.S. are the result of homicide, not suicide. And 74% of gun homicides can be attributed to white males, according to the CDC. Are black people out killing white people simply for being white? Yes. Are white people out killing black people for simply being black? Yes, it happens. And it's been happening for decades upon decades. But consider this. According to FBI data from 2013, if you were a white person in 2013, your odds of being murdered by anyone 
or roughly 13 in a million. If you were a black person in the same year, your odds of being killed by anyone were about 62 in a million. Nearly five times what the odds were for a white person. Shannon Christian and Christopher Newsom inadvertently ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time. If they had been black, they probably still would have suffered the same terrible fate. The perpetrators of this crime didn't go out seeking white victims, at least as far as we know. And one would think that if the perps had chosen them for their race, it would have come out during testimony, as it probably would have been something they were proud of. What happened was that a group of twisted human beings destroyed the lives of innocent human beings. No color reference is required. So, before we move on, if you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash DCNS. Your support helps the channel grow, upgrade our equipment, bring in new hosts, be able to pay them, and pay our researchers who help put these stories together. And as always, subscribe to the channel, hit that uh, bell notification button to be uh, notified of future videos and subscribe to the podcast on all ma- major podcast platforms including good pods and as always thank you so much for watching and listening we will see you next time you have been listening to the true crime never sleeps podcast thank you for listening you can follow us on facebook at true crime never sleeps podcast and on twitter at true crime ns and follow us on instagram at true crime never sleeps thanks for watching if you want to support the show Buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash true crime never sleeps. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.